Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. It's Julie Henrikis, Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am delighted to welcome Gigi Pandian to the podcast this week. Gigi is a USA Today bestselling and award-winning mystery author, breast cancer survivor, and accidental almost vegan. The child of cultural anthropologists from New Mexico and the southern tip of India, she spent her childhood traveling around the world on their research trips. She now lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with her husband and a gargoyle who watched over the backyard vegetable garden. Her debut novel, Artifact, was awarded the Malice Domestic Grant, and she's won Anthony, Agatha, Lefty, and Derringer Awards. Her books include The Accidental Alchemist Mysteries, The Jaya Jones Treasure Hunt Mysteries, and The Secret Staircase Mysteries. The first, Under Lock and Skeleton Key, comes out March 15, 2022. Welcome to the podcast, Gigi. Thank you so much for having me, Julie. I'm very excited to be here today. Well, I'm delighted, as always, to see you. We served on the Sister in Crime National Board for a while together, and we've crossed um, during normal times at conferences and things like that. But you've had a wonderful uh, writing career that is, this year is a is a big year for you. As we're recording this, um, you've recently gotten an Edgar nomination and an Agatha nomination. So huge congratulations on both of those. Thank things. you so much. It's uh, and and then the book coming out March fifteenth, which we will talk about. Um, but you know, a wonderful writing year for you ahead. But let's start as I always start here on this podcast and talk about how it started for you. When did you say to yourself, "I want to write a novel"? So this is always such a, a complicated question because I I didn't consciously realize this until. 2007, but the signs were there long before that. Um, as when I was really little and obsessed with Scooby-Doo, I would make my mother <laughs> make up more Scooby-Doo stories for me because I didn't want them to end. But whenever she would tell them, I started taking over the story and say exactly what the mystery needed to be. So that is the first, that is the first known <laughs> evidence. And then when I was uh, traveling on my parents' research trips as an only child, I had to make my own fun so much of the time. There were some Sometimes other kids around, but, um, and I would sometimes hang out with the adults, but you know, adults aren't always so fun. So I would go make up stories about all of the, the places I was and the things happening around yeah. me and started to write those down. And those were always adventure mysteries, um, even from that young age. And there's, I could go on with so many examples of things that I did, but I never really thought this is just like a fun thing. It, it, it never occurred to me that I would either do this as a career or even write a whole novel um, until I discovered National Novel Writing Month, uh, mm -hmm. the challenge, the NaNoWriMo challenge to write a 50,000 word draft of a novel in a single month. And 
I had, you know, just been having fun playing around, writing little mystery stories, you know, as soon as I could even speak. But um, when I finished that challenge, I was so excited that I had actually finished a novel for the first time, even though it was terrible and a draft and not nearly long enough and all of the things. But so I submitted it to the Malice Domestic Grants competition just because I was so excited um, that I had finished something and I won the grant that year. And mm. that was the push that I needed to think, huh, somebody actually thinks can see promise in this mess um, that I have finished. And um, that was really what made me think that I could actually write a novel and actually do this. Before then, I was just kind of bouncing around, never actually seeing it as something real. Um, but that combination of NaNoWriMo and then uh, having people see promise in my writing um, at Malice Domestic, that was really what set me on this path. Well, uh, and let's back up a little bit because when you're, you know, that grant at Malice Domestic is is it's competitive. I mean, it's, it's, you know, that's a big deal to do with your first nano novel. Um, how did you learn how to write a book? Did you, had you taken classes in college? Had you been taking writing workshops or was this just something you'd sort of been noodling and doing on your own? And then nano gave you structure and you figured let's, let's send this out. Yeah, it was really, I had never taken, I mean, I had taken occasional creative writing classes here and there, but nothing, uh, like in college, I had taken one creative writing class and done like a couple little workshops, but nothing that was really like majoring in it or taking it seriously. But, um, I grew up in a house filled with books and, mm -hmm. There was all sorts of genres, and my mother is still incredibly disappointed that I will not read all the science fiction books that she loves that are all around, but it was always the mysteries. It was always the mysteries that I went to, and not just the kids' books, but when I was little, I started reading other mysteries that were on the shelves and then started you know, picking out my own from there. But you really, there is something in having a certain type of book that you love, you really do mm -hmm. internalize so much of that unconsciously without realizing what you're doing. And so when I wanted to write my, when I started writing my first novel, I knew so much of that without realizing that I had. But then after the Malice Grant, I did see that the book was I that so I'll actually back up one slight tangent. It's actually I connected with Sisters in Crime at that first Malice Domestic. And that's what really where I met people. I didn't know any writers before that, but that's yeah. when I got to meet people and who gave me advice that, you know, about how to learn to actually turn this seed of a good book into an actual good book. And that's mm -hmm. when I got to see, here's the things that I got right unconsciously, but here's the structure of figuring out how to actually make it uh, from this good idea into something that other people would want to read. And, um, but so much of it was just from being an avid reader and loving yeah. the genre that so yeah. much of that, I knew what I wanted to create. Um, especially Elizabeth Peters, it was my main mm. inspiration, uh, for that first Jaya Jones novel that I was working on, that I wanted to capture that same sense of an adventure mystery. I really wanted yeah. to, 
um, do my own spin on that with Jaya. Yeah, I'm a huge Elizabeth Peters fan as well. So uh, yeah, yeah, I love she's amazing. That. Oh my goodness, and and re just rereading her uh, lately has has made me an even bigger fan because you know as you look at it second or third time, you start seeing what she's doing as a writer mm-hmm. and how over the course of her career she she created this character that could grow from twenty books and you know over 30 years and keep you interested and and still be true to herself and it's it's quite the feat but she was really good at it yeah and with more than one character too I actually yeah. have read so Vicky Bliss was my favorite yeah. of her characters I'm a huge yeah. Amelia Peabody fan as well but people forget about Jacqueline Kirby librarian Jacqueline yeah. Kirby so I've actually been rereading the Jacqueline Kirby series recently and it's so underrated um <laughs> Agree. I agree. And a lot of them are on Audible. So if people mm, like mm-hmm. uh, audiobooks, I think that Jacqueline Kirby's for a while were all free on Audible. But um, she is, um, you know, I, I'm with you. Although Vicki Bliss, I think Vicki Bliss is under underrated and underdiscovered as well. Yeah, I mean, Vic, Vicky's these, my favorite yeah. for sure. Yeah, she's a trip. <laughs> she's a trip. So you've got, I mean, Elizabeth Peters is a great role model because she had a a really great career and it was a long career and she kept going. Um, and Mal's domestic was, she was one of the founders. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. it's, it's a nice, um, tie in there, but tell me about how you came up with the idea for that first novel. Was this something going into nano you had no idea, or was this something that had been percolating in your brain or a character had shown up and you, you just thought, let me, let me take this November and see what happens. So I had actually filled several paper notebooks with ideas about um, Indian American historian Jaya Jones. And uh, since I come from a multicultural background and I didn't really see a lot of that in the mysteries Mm -hmm. that I grew up loving reading, and I didn't realize it's another thing that I did unconsciously without realizing what I was doing is that I didn't really see that I was missing anything because that's just what things were. And that's what, especially, and I love reading golden age mysteries too. Um, And so obviously there's not really diverse cast there, but I wasn't actually thinking about missing anything because those books are amazing. But when I wanted to write something myself, I was like, well, obviously I'm going to have this reflect the people in my life, you know? And Mm -hmm. so, So I did that and Jaya and her friends and family are a diverse cast across, you know, all sorts of things and, you know, people from different places and backgrounds and identities. And I, that just made its way there into the story, but I filled many notebooks with just a mess of all of these characters and not really a cohesive story. But I really liked the idea of doing something with a historian who could solve present day crimes that were linked to historical treasures. And I Mm -hmm. didn't know it at the time, but I was really setting her up for the whole series being about um, present day crimes linked to historical treasures from India's colonial history. And so Mm -hmm. the first book did that, but then I realized uh, because of how vast that that uh, idea could be that I could do that for continuing books. But so I had all these ideas for that that were just a jumbled mess. But for NaNoWriMo, I 
pared it down, writing quickly, I was just able to get the bare bones of the story down on the page. And I, that actually helped me get rid of lots of the extraneous things that had been there. There, you know, the char- there was way too many characters in my notebook. You don't need that many characters, you know, combine them and make them more interesting and get rid of the boring ones and, you know, bring all the characters there into this focus story of writing with abandon. Uh, do you think that you're making up Scooby-Doo stories with your mother? Um, I, and this is a serious question. Yeah. Helped you with creative, with dramatic structure and three-act structures? I mean, those, having watched many Scooby-Doo's as a child and as an aunt, um, <laughs> they have dramatic structure, right? They've got, this is what happens next, and this is how we solve it. Do you think your imagination sort of, from a young age to start to think in, in dramatic structure for books? Yeah. So I, when I, after I uh, got that grant and met folks from Sisters in Crime and who suggested different writing workshops to me, I attended a weekend, a weekend long writing workshop from Alexandra Sokoloff, who is an amazing Mm -hmm. writer and an amazing teacher. And she came from a screenwriting background before she moved into writing mystery fiction. And she teaches workshops on applying the the three-act structure from film to books. And that weekend was really one of the things that I think it was right before I ended up getting an agent because it was the last piece of the puzzle that I needed to apply to my writing. I We watched a bunch of movies that weekend and she would stop them at every point where you know you would see this is the end of act one, this is the midpoint. And you can really see exactly the movies that are iconic and successful. They really follow this story structure and it's not confining. It's really just what people naturally want, that this is the story structure that we're really expecting. But if you can defy expectations in certain ways and surprise us, but within this certain structure, then it's all the more meaningful to the people who are watching the movie or reading the book uh, because it is a really satisfying structure. And I could see then when I overlaid my book onto this structure that Mm -hmm. I had maybe about 80% of it right, but the places that I could already feel were missing something when I looked at it with that structure, I'm like, oh, that is a whole because it has to be this point in the book. And then that helped me fill in, filling in that gap that was just a messy, mushy middle. Wow. That's so great advice and great way of using other mediums to help find the process that works for you. Like understanding film or, you know, for me, it was understanding theater can help mm-hmm. you under, help you with your writing because it's it's you know another fresh way of looking at something when you're when you're doing things. Yeah, that's great. Um, did you now I'm fascinated by your your parents both being cultural anthropologists because I can only imagine that also gives you a lens on people and characters and places that is at the you know you're in it so you don't know but it's unique I mean you you have a a different lens do you find that that also you know your folks work helped you sort of in your writing um yes and no so I think it it has been really great for me that one of the things that comes easiest to me is dialogue Um, that I find when I get critique readers looking at um, 
early versions of my books, my dialogue is always one of the the things that is strong, even from the get-go, because I'm just listening in my head to the experiences I've had with various people um, from all the places I've been. And so I will still have, you know, run things by people. Um, so whenever I set books that are set in different countries, I will have people that are from there take a look at them too. But I, I do, because of, because of having so many travels and interacting with different people, I, I am able to get the dialogue part right more easily, I think. But at the same time, because they were academics before retiring for Mm -hmm. so long, I also went on my own false path before getting back on my correct path is I pursued academia at first. And that's why I think I created Jaya as well, because I was in a PhD program for a while and thinking that I would be a professor, but it just, it wasn't for me. I, and so when I created my first character, I did want to give her all the adventures that I thought one should be able to have in academia, but isn't actually real life. Like I didn't, I love doing all of the research that I get to do for all of the books I write. I love doing that, but then I didn't want to do that in an academic setting. And this way I can explore so many more different ideas and, uh, not, um, yeah. I, I mean, I wish I could have been an academic and loved that like they did, but it just was not for me. So I did a little well. detour a couple years, <laughs> you know, going and doing that before I, uh, I did actually, uh, drop out of that program, that PhD program before, um, I had decided to take my writing seriously. That was several years before I had actually finished the novel, but, after I left that program was when I started working on this novel just in my notebook and created Jaya. So I I gave myself the fun adventure academic after I left my own academic path. And you said it was always going to be crime fiction, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing else that um, I read widely. I mean, I think I read widely, but probably 75% of the things I read are mysteries of some kind. Um, But all across the the mystery subgenres, but I do, I also love reading nonfiction and I'll sometimes read other things in other genres as well. But those mysteries are just the ones that are, have always appealed to me. And my mom, even still, when I will go visit my parents that she will leave certain books in other genres, like on the guest bed. And, uh, you know, just in hopes that she'll be like, oh, just read the first chapter before bed. And then you'll want to take the book home with you. And I'm like, that was a good first chapter, but I don't want to keep reading, you know? So it's so interesting how different tastes are like that. But yeah, it's just, I'm a, I'm a mystery person. And tell me a little bit about your writing process. Are you a plotter? Are you a pantser? You know, you, you've been talking about the notebooks filled with Jaya and her adventures and thoughts and things like that. But, um, you know, how do you start a novel? I start on a paper notebook always, um, but I don't, it's not exactly an outlined plot, I just put all of the different ideas that I'm having and just let myself explore that. And something also that um, I've put a silver lining on is that I get motion sickness and I can't read if I'm in a moving vehicle, even in a train. 
And so if I'm not able to read books, if I'm ever in a situation like that, but I always have my paper notebook with me. And so I can always just in that forced uh, solitude where I can't read, I guess now I would also listen to a podcast or something like that. But so I got in this habit before podcasts were a thing is just to have my solitude and my paper notebook wherever I am that I can just be writing notes. But so it's not really an outliner versus uh, a discovery writer, but um, I do before I move to the computer, I do give make myself an outline, but my outline is more like a security blanket in that mm-hmm. it helps me move to that next stage, but it will inevitably go out the window once the characters take over. And do you ever go back to, you know, do you ever write drafts or parts of drafts in hand or is it always back on the computer? No, I'll definitely write drafts in the notebooks as well. I probably... I mean, a book will have at least three paper notebooks and often a lot more before I'll move to the computer. And I also have a cork board that has, I'll play with moving around note cards and things too. So I do have outliner tendencies, but I don't stick to them because characters will then help me see what actually needs to happen. But because I care so much about the mystery and I like doing puzzle plots so that it really is a mystery that you could, you know, have seen the pieces of if you look carefully. So I will need Mm -hmm. to go back and change things. Or sometimes my subconscious is smarter than my conscious brain and the things will be there. So I'll realize then what needs to happen that I didn't see earlier, but is the logical conclusion. Yeah, that's the magic, isn't it? When the imagination comes up. Definitely magic. Uh, So these three paper notebooks, do you go back and read them as you're writing or, or are they just a vessel where you put everything and know it's there, but you know, what role do they play as you're, as you're progressing? I'll definitely use them through the whole process of uh, working on the book because there are lots of like free writing dialogue and things too. And then when I move from the notebooks to the computer, that'll kind of be like my first round of revisions because not everything will make it onto the computer. So I'll be able to say, eh, that's actually no good or I don't need that. But then I'll type up the things that are actually good, but tweak them so that they're better than they were on paper. But again, the dialogue, lots of the dialogue from those notebooks makes it into the first draft and will end up in the final book. And do you use, uh, do you just go into Word or do you use Scrivener or how do you, how do you write your book? I use Scrivener and I love it because I can move around scenes. Plus I can add research because I absolutely adore research. And so I can have lots of subfolders of research plus have um, little character sketches and things. And that's something I like to do as well. Take it from paper into Scrivener because you can't search paper nearly as easily. And so I have been, it's very frustrating to me. I still think there are some brilliant, absolutely brilliant, I say, things that are lost in notebooks that are, I don't know where they are, but <laughs> but I'm probably just misremembering them and they're not actually brilliant, which is why I didn't actually find them because they didn't actually exist. I probably dreamt them, but it is hard to find things. There was a name, a perfect name that I found <laughs> that I know I wrote down and I can't find it. <laughs> so that is, that is the pitfall of paper. 
Yes, that is the pitfall of paper. But at least it's three notebooks to look in instead of, you know, 10,000 pieces of paper, you know, laying all over the house or, you know, piled up in a notebook or something. It's true. It's true. But then after I move to the computer, I'll still print out. I have to, because paper just that does something different to the brain. So then I'll print, yeah. print out the draft and then mark up that. So then I have binders too of all of those with my notes in them. So yeah. my, my little house isn't big enough for being an author. It's, it's not good. Now, do you work on one thing at a time or, you know, do you work on a couple of projects at any given time? From start to finish, that's a difficult question to answer because between when I have an idea and when a book is published, I will work on many things. But when I am focused on a certain version of a certain book, so if I'm on my first draft on the computer or if I'm working on my editor's revisions, that I can't think about anything else when I'm in that headspace. And so for at least a month at a time, I'll be focused on a project, but not for the the whole year or more that it takes to, to finish something. Um, and that's not even the last little copy edits before something is published, but um, because it's a really long process. Um, it is a long process. And I, and I also have notebooks that are ideas for things that I haven't written yet and haven't been contracted for and haven't had time to work on. But I feel like when I have, when I have the little spark that I want to work on that, then I'll pull that up. But, um, but for now they're just sitting in those notebooks percolating. And do you have, uh, like, do you start a new notebook per idea if you, if you feel like it's really, or do you have like a general ideas notebook? I don't have a general ideas notebook. I will just uh, start a new notebook that I'll call something silly, you know, on the cover yeah. so that I can, when, I, when I'm looking through my, my shelves of notebooks, that I can find that. Yeah, I love it. I mean, this is deep in the weeds, but this is really interesting. <laughs> um, it, especially, you know, having the tangible things to go back to, I think is tremendously helpful when you get tons of ideas swirling in your brain. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. I love having those notebooks. So I've, I've been, uh, it's been disappointing that I haven't gotten to, I love the feel of notebooks, but that I haven't been out in the world as much lately, you know, to be like browsing in stationary shops. Yes. Then I still browse in different stationary shops online, but it's not the same as being able to pick no. it up before buying it. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> and feeling the paper yep. and feeling the pen on the paper and all the rest of it. Yep. So your writing journey, I, I love all the the information you're talking about, you're sharing. What's the best piece of writing advice you've gotten and given perhaps? or And what's the worst piece of advice you've either gotten or you've heard? Um, the best piece of advice that I would love to give everyone is not to compare your writing journey to anyone else's. We are all on different journeys and we are all at different stages of our journeys. And so I've now been a published author for 10 years as of this year. 
And so I have had many twists and turns and ups and downs, and it's been an amazing wild ride. And I've met so many amazing people and had so many wonderful experiences, but there've also been challenges and different decisions I've made for different reasons. And so there's, there's a countless a number of different ways that all of these things can interact in any individual writer's life. And so it there is the temptation to compare where you're at to where somebody else is at, and we're not on the same journey or on the same path. And so it's frustrating to see if people feel bad that they're not having some expectation because this is a wonderful career, but it also is a challenging one. And so you should focus on what brings you joy and how to meet your own goals in writing rather than thinking that you should be comparing yourself to somebody else. Right. That's excellent advice. Excellent advice. And what about, what's the worst piece of advice? I think that it would be the the flip side of that, but just more specifically, if there is any proper way to have a writing career there, you know, you can do, you can choose your own path if it's traditional publishing or self-publishing or a combination of the two, or that you like to write one book a year or one book every five years or whatever you want to do, that that should be your own decision, not having somebody tell you that there is one right way to do it. I think that's also great advice. And I've noted in your career, so 10 years is a long time to be and stay published. As you said, there are twists and turns and you've been nimble in how you've dealt with things as far as you know, taking things and maybe publishing them yourself afterwards or, um, you know, just figuring out different paths. And now you're, you're sort of stepping, stepping up, but what, what do you wish you'd known sooner about the whole publishing journey, which is separate from your writing journey, your writing journey, you can control your publishing journey. You can have a say in, but there's so much that's out of your control. I, okay. You're going to, you're going to hate my answer to this, but I don't actually have anything to say here because I feel like I did make the right choices for every state, you know, so even if things didn't turn out as I expected, I, Mm -hmm. I really feel good about all of the choices that I made at different points, but I have, I think that I have, perspective that I've been able to make those right decisions. It was 11 years ago now that my agent had been pitching my debut novel for more than a year when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I missed, this is actually a true story, that I was at the hospital getting that diagnosis when I missed a call from my agent that it was time for plan B because she had exhausted over the whole year, like all of these agents and things. And this was the first Jaya Jones novel. And so we kept hearing from editors that I have a cozy voice, but it wasn't cozy. So what else had I written? Yeah. And I wanted to write the story I wanted to write. I didn't want to write exactly to what certain conventions were. And I took that as a sign that I needed to take control of something 
at that point in my life when she was also, you know, we were going to figure out what to do next. So I had a year of cancer treatments ahead of me. And so I gave myself that year to learn how to self-publish. And this was before there was nearly as much out there about self-publishing because this was 11 years ago. Um, but so that was absolutely the right decision for me at the time. And I had a joint celebration at the end of that year. That was when I finished my cancer, my year of cancer treatment and released the book. And mm-hmm. things fell into place from there because I, you know, the whole cancer thing really puts so much into perspective. And my writing group was one of the, like, they were amazing through that whole time too. In addition to my other friends and my family in terms of being there for me during that time, but that also helped me figure out what I actually wanted out of my writing career, like it, cause it just mm-hmm. puts that in sharp focus. Um, and so all of the decisions I've made, I've been it still doesn't make it an easier path, but for me, I could just more easily say, this is what's right for me. I don't care if, you know, somebody else is telling me I should do a certain thing, but my, my fantastic agent also stuck with me through that, deciding to self-publish that because it's not like that's what I knew I wanted to do for everything moving forward. And she's been a tremendous partner since then. And so I've ended up doing a combination of traditional publishing and self-publishing since that time. And, um, you know, based on whatever is right for me and a certain project and a certain point in time. Which is great. You're really carving out a career that's, um, that's yours and you're making very active decisions on every step. So it's inspiring. Um, one of the other things that's inspiring that you've done is built a community. So you're one of the three co-founders of Crime Writers of Color, along with Walter Mosley and Kelly Garrett. And uh, that organization is now, you said before we got on the air, has over 300 members. Um, And it's six years old now, is that right? No, it's three and a half years old now. So it was 2018. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Time is so strange right now. (laughs) Time is so strange. So 2018, so not even, it wasn't even around before COVID hit for that long. I mean, it was still a toddler when COVID hit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, So I know how great this organization is and, and how it's changed things and, and, uh, you know, helped everybody get rid of the excuse of, but I can't find a writer of, you know, this background, or I can't do this, or I can't do that. It's like, you know, no, (laughs) we have over 300 members. Um, There's no excuses uh, for publishers, for readers, for libraries, for booksellers, for anybody. Um, But it's also a a tremendously supportive community. I'm always amazed on social media about the um, joy and the celebration and the support that crime writers of color give each other to, you know, celebrate a book birthday or, you know, Edgar nominees or Agatha nominees and building community, community so important. And you talked about sisters in crime as early in your career, but can you talk about um, this organization now and what you were hoping to accomplish by creating it and, and, you know, how, how are you feeling about it three and a half years in? Yeah, no, Sisters in Crime was actually um, one of the inspirations um, when when Kelly and I uh, first started talking about the idea that then ended up becoming Crime Writers of Color. 
And um, just to have this community and to be able to advocate for people who weren't necessarily getting the recognition in the publishing community. And so many people in the group have expressed a similar sentiment to mine that we didn't really know what we were missing until we were able to see more uh, mystery writers of color because it's, you know, you experience the world the way that it is and, you know, are still such a fan of the genre. And so there wasn't very much diversity in mystery fiction in the English language world. And, um, but that's just the way that it was. And so, so many of us were just working in isolation. And so I had met a few other mystery writers of color going to different conventions and things, but um, we were definitely few and far between. And also in the books that I could find to buy in this genre I love. But um, Kelly Garrett, is truly, she is the heart and soul of the organization. She really brings people together. And so she started having a conversation with Walter Mosley, who she met at an event that when she heard that he was interested in, you know, doing something like this. And I had selfishly befriended Kelly when uh, we were, we shared a publisher and I found out her first book was coming out. And I was like, who is this amazing woman with this book that looks fantastic? Can I get an advanced copy of this book and blurb it? Because selfishly, I want to read this and meet her. Um, and so when, when she and I met and she was newer to the mystery community than I was. And so she was able to see in a lot more sharp focus that, you know, this is not a very diverse group of people here at this conference. And, you know, we were talking more and she is such an amazing person at bringing people together. And so when she and I just, you know, became friends and started talking that we really should get people together because we knew that there had to be more people out there, but who weren't necessarily comfortable coming to conventions that were not necessarily going to embrace them or, you know, had not had good luck finding publishers when it really was very recently that it was much more difficult if you had a character of color to get, um, you know, presses to take your book as seriously. And it's one of those things that's difficult too, because you never know exactly if that's what it is or what exactly is, you know, not working. But so by being able to now bring people together and share, have share our own experiences in publishing with each other, we can learn so much from each other and get, give advice and celebrate and commiserate. And, and it's, so it's just um, a really great group and also to advocate if we see something that, you know, is happening that, you know, doesn't look great. So just being able to do all those things, but mainly just having a space where people can feel comfortable and come together mm-hmm. and also know that they won't be alone if they come, if they do want to come to a mystery event of some kind. Um, and so when when Kelly and I were just first inviting people to it, I think we knew about 30 people between the two of us. And then, uh, and like you mentioned, it's now over 300 people. It's just amazing. We're in a really wonderful time in the crime writing community as far as the books that are being published and, and uh, you know, uh, the way the community is um, <clears throat> approaching things. But it's also, I, I feel, um, as somebody who's older and, uh, and an older white woman, uh, it's tenuous, right? I mean, we've got to just keep our keep our focus and keep supporting and keep welcoming and reading and, um, and acknowledging and demanding 
the the diversity of voices um, that are available to us now because it's good for all of us. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it just it makes it so much more fun and so much more interesting to have all these uh, wonderful books being published. Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping I'm hoping that this isn't a blip and it's a a trend that continues. And so I think it's all on us to make sure that that's true. Yeah. And I think <laughs> that we won't let it be just a blip because now that there are so many amazing books that are being published, readers yeah. want more of them. So, um, yes. yeah. And yeah. so, no, yeah, it's good. It's good business. Um, so congratulations on that. A huge, a huge, um, uh, Thing that you've done for the community, but uh, let's talk for just a second about your your latest uh, book baby that's coming out in March. So I'm not sure when will, this will be published, but Under Lock and Skeleton Key. Can you talk to me about this book and how it was born? And you know, it's because uh, you've had a couple of long running series, and you know, you know, tell tell me about this this book and this conceit. And as I'm I'm looking at Gigi, I'm seeing her wonderful cover um, in the background, and and I highly suggest folks do some get on the Google and look at it because it's a really fabulous cover. I have really lucked out with wonderful book cover karma. I've had so many amazing artists work on uh, my book covers. So I'm very lucky there. Um, but yeah, so the origin of um, Under Lock and Skeleton Key, like, like so many things in my publishing journey, this is, this is a long and winding journey, but I'll try to make it succinct. So um, after the... Um, my, but it does have a long story though that that sort of originates at that ten years ago time when I was going through cancer treatments because two important things came about that year in addition to wanting to publish the first Jaya Jones novel on my own was that I wrote while I was going through chemotherapy I wrote the first draft of the novel that became my first accidental alchemist novel because that one is about a that series is about a centuries old alchemist because you know finding the elixir of life is uh mm -hmm. I was going through chemotherapy at the time so yeah. as you might have noticed by now my subconscious just does so many things for me. So I had written that draft. Um, it was a darker draft then and then became a lighthearted, cozy paranormal series afterwards, but uh, because that's my natural voice. But um, also while I was going through chemo and my writer's group like got me this amazing wig that then became my mystery conference wig for the next year when my hair was wrung out, when I could go back to do things. But so my writer's group was so amazing to me and they they were just such a big part of my recovery that I decided that I would take the, my writer's group to Edinburgh, Scotland for a writing retreat, that I would rent out a huge flat um, for any of them who wanted to come and we would do a week-long writing retreat. So this was a couple years after I finished chemo, I said for my 40th birthday, this is, I will make this happen. And so several of them came over and we had an amazing writing retreat. And um, that was six years ago now that I started working on the book that became Under Lock and Skeleton Key because wow. I wanted to, at this writer's retreat, I was like, this is my post-cancer big celebration writing retreat. I'm going to write the book that I've always been scared to write, but want to write. And so Tempest Raj is a, um, a stage illusionist who 
is able to, she creates misdirection for a living. So her, you know, wonderful amateur sleuth skill is being able to see through misdirection. And I've always loved locked room mysteries and impossible crime stories. That's why I'm a huge fan of the golden age of detective fiction. So I wanted to put my 21st century spin by having this you know, multicultural 21st century millennial woman who is able to take some of the same uh, types of impossible crime situations and but solve them for the 21st century. And so the whole series is each of the books is going to have a locked room mystery in it that she can use her skills to solve. But I, because this was the book that I really wanted to uh, throw everything into that I had always wanted to do. I just, I threw everything into that first draft that I was working on, uh, during that writer's retreat, which is why it took me several years how to tell her story (laughs) because I wanted to have all of these Gothic elements and these supposed hauntings, but that weren't really, there's a family curse in her story. And so the little tagline for the book is an impossible crime, a family legacy, the intrigue of hidden rooms and secret staircases because her family business is uh, that her mom and her dad started is uh, secret staircase construction, which builds uh, secret staircases and, you know, hidden tree houses and secret gardens and all sorts of like sliding bookcases and things into people's homes because her dad is a carpenter and her mom was a stage magician. So what happens when a carpenter and a stage magician fall in love? They form secret staircase construction to bring magic into people's homes. (laughs) So it took me a long time how to pare down all of these ideas swirling around into an idea that gelled together. And it was actually the start of the pandemic when I finally, I had to cancel a research trip for another book. But then I'm like, I am going to make all of these ideas work that I had just been working on in fits Mm -hmm. and starts for several years. But Tempest was originally, she's mentioned in uh, a couple of the Jaya Jones novels as one of Jaya's friend Sanjay's magician friends. And then I wrote a short story about her and then she still wouldn't stay out of my head. And so both she and Sanjay are two of the stars of this new series um, because Sanjay, uh, who is performs as the Hindi Houdini, they're just so fun to write. So um, yeah, I, I love him. So, he ha- so he's a big part in this series too. So this is a, a book that I'm so thrilled that uh, is finally going to come out in the world because it took me so long to to find out yeah. how to how to tell the story. Um, and it found a wonderful my agent found a wonderful home for it, and I'm so I'm so thrilled that it's about to be out in the world. And once you said you know beginning of the pandemic, so again as we're as we're taping this, it's you know about 22 months ago. Um, did you, how long once you said all right. I'm, I'm going to wrestle this book. How long before you were able to take all those years of work and get it to a place where you could, um, you know, query it and then get it published? Well, I actually, because it was, there was so much work that I'd already put into it, but in, in different incarnations, like I had tried to write it as a thriller at one point and have it half in Scotland and half in California. I had done all the things to try to make yeah. this book work. The pandemic is another one of those things that just makes you be like, well, this is what life has given me. I'm going to throw myself into this. It just, it took me a couple of months to get a proposal together and my agent ended up selling it um, at auction just on proposal 
because I had had all of the ideas that I knew exactly what I wanted to do. But so I did have maybe like six chapters plus another 20 pages of proposal. So there was a lot there, um, but it was still um, just on proposal. And then I was able to um, work with my amazing editor to um, finish writing the book. It's so exciting. I love the story, the story leading up, and I can't wait to read the book, but I love the story reading up. And I love secret staircase builders. Like, why don't we have those? (laughs) I mean, are there such a thing? (laughs) Like, that would be the greatest thing in the world. I mean, there are individual. So there's actually, there are, you can actually buy a kit to give yourself your own secret, you know, sliding bookcase that opens into a thing. So this, this company has to do things extra magically so that people don't just buy this like kit that they can build themselves. So they bring all sorts of added little magical elements and things. So it's so much fun to write. It's so much fun. I can't even imagine. So are you working on... The wonderful thing about selling on proposal is that you, you know, sell a couple of books or two or three books on, uh, you know, a contract. The challenging thing is then the deadlines start. (laughs) So are you working on the next book in the series? I actually just two days ago turned in the edits to the second book in the series. So now I have to get back in the headspace of the first book, but now it's actually so fun because I know the character is even better because it, it, it is, um, you know, it's, there's so many recurring characters in the series, um, that, yeah, it's really fun to spend time with them, but, but yeah, so now I need to, to start talking about the first book in the series. Yeah. Start talking about the first book, wait for the edits on the second book and you know, the next, and then start working on the third book. I mean, this is, you know, and so it continues. It's exciting. Yeah. It's exciting. So, um, I love this conversation. I love your writer's imagination is a gift. I mean, I know you know this, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a gift that uh, it inspires. It's, it's really interesting how you've sort of taken these, these things and, and come up with these wonderful stories. Thanks. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast and for, for talking about your journey and for the work you do and congratulations on the new book. Thank you so much, Julie. It's been wonderful chatting with you. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.